a radio show that confesses Christ without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Now let's, yes, the answer is, if a song says the word God, it should be singing about Jesus. But the question here is Jesus mentioned by name or concept is that, is it, is it clear that the person that we're singing to is Jesus? You start to separate others. So I have more good works than that person. And so this is where pietism ends up, that, uh, oh, I'm a better Christian because I have more good works than you. Our, our our evangelism program would basically be like a roast. <laughs> well, sometimes we don't learn from our mistakes because last time we did a super game and it oh, ended terribly. Oh, yeah, baby. And today... It did? What was it? It was a super how, game. That's all I remember. How could it have possibly gone wrong? It's kind of like when um, someone goes through a traumatic experience, they don't really remember much about it because they're trying to, you know... I, uh, by the way, speaking of traumatic of experience, I'm looking up a cal. I'm trying to print out a circle calendar so I can see the whole year in a picture, and all this occult stuff is coming up. That's weird. Probably, I would. Yeah, crop I, circles, things like that. I <laughs> uh, do the elders review the browsing history there at uh, Hope Lutheran Church. <laughs> Pastor, what are you doing looking at crop <laughs> circles? It's coming up. Pastor's I'll be good. preaching about crop circles today. <laughs> All right. Well, in today's edition of the program, we're going to be discussing your emails sent to questions at tabletalkradio.org. And then uh, Pastor Wolfman there wants to do this super game, which I think is a big mistake, but he insists. Um, And that is the mixture of the game's Ten Commandments of the News, Witch Ladder, and Kakga. That is our casual apologetics conversation game. Oh, yeah. This would be awesome. None of those individually have been a great success, but we're hoping together they'll make a mediocre (laughs) game. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's not like multiplying a fraction. You know? <laughs> right. You get it? Yeah, because then it all gets... Those, you know, all those chemists out there are laughing their heads off. <laughs> okay, so let's start by doing buzzwords. Pastor Wolfmiller, what is your buzzword? My buzzword for you is this buzzword right here, which is acceptalation. Is that how to say that, do you think? Ex. <laughs> Acceptalation. You know, you Here's to, the definition. I was going to say, you have to know what it means. But get, go ahead. Yeah. A, a theological term first applied in the Middle Ages to denote the acceptance by God of an atonement, not because it in itself, it is in itself an equivalent, but because God determines to accept it as such. Acceptalation. So that means, in other words, the reason why uh, there can be forgiveness of sins through the death of a goat, for example is not because the goat's death is equivalent to our sin, but uh, because God is determined to accept it as such. Oh, nice. I like it. Okay. You do? Yeah. Now, probably this, is, I don't know. I, I just was looking up the buzzword here. But I don't know the history of this thing, but probably we got to look out for it because um, in some ways the death of Jesus is, in fact, equivalent to our sin. And the only reason the, uh, the the sacrifice of the Old Testament forgives sins is because it's bringing to us the death of Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I think that we maybe rather simplistically um, have seen those sacrifices in the Old Testament to be somewhat similar to the New Testament sacraments. 
yes. and that they're bestowing. And, and I think that the connection there is simply the promise of God. So, um, in other words, so why does uh, a, a washing with water attached to the Word of God forgive sins? Well, because God says it does. And so it is. I mean, so, so that is simply drawing us to the, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus, as did the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Why did they forgive sins? Well, simply because God said they did. Right. So is that what that's getting at, or is it something different? I'm not sure. Probably. Okay. okay. <laughs> I bet it's, you're right. I'm going to give you multiple choice. Which, which theological buzz uh, word would you like? Would you like existentialism or ism? <laughs> Those are both good. Let's just do ism. Okay. Ism, according to this uh, Google definition, means a distinctive practice, system, or philosophy, typically a political ideology or a artistic movement. Ism. Oh, that's good. That's why Lutheran is not an ism. <laughs> because it's not a distinctive practice? <laughs> well, probably not, in fact. You know, it's not about the doing, it's about the believing. Okay, okay. Remember that? Remember yeah, I'm just I'm just trying things? to get this whole whole controversy started all over again for you. I appreciate it. Maybe I'll bring back the soundbite where you say Lutheranism. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was thanks. great. Yeah, that, was good. that was good. Okay. I love that. that now, with, without further ado, let's go to the inbox at questions at tabletalkradio.org. We heard from our uh, OCB uh, a handful of times. And that is? Our official Calvinist blogger, Reuben. Everybody, we haven't heard from Reuben Everybody ages. needs to have their own personal OCB, I think. Right. I think I think corporations are asking, you know, there's a job opening for our official communist blogger. Yeah, yeah, that's right, right. We're going to write reviews for this guy. Now, I got we got 3 of them. Uh crunch some hip hop, some him hop is the first one. Bumper sticker and church sign is the other one. Interesting quote and then bumper sticker and church sign update. So apparently our OCB, you want? Our OCB is uh, suffering some sleep depravity lately. Yeah, he's back on the job. <laughs> Here, let's okay. start with a bumper sticker. Okay. Here's a bumper sticker I saw on a car in the parking lot of my church. It's a play on all the religious symbols that usually make up coexist bumper sticker. The top half says coex equals you do. Then there's a line. And in the bottom half it says T equals done for you. Do you get it? So it lists all the religions, C-O-E-X-I-S, and says, you do. Oh, I And then it has the T, and it says, done for you. I like that. Uh-huh. I've been waiting for someone to, to make a spoof of the coexistence. It's my perspective. That's been going on long there enough. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. So and it makes this, this makes the nice point, which is that all the religions are religions of law. The religion of the cross is a religion of the gospel. That seems then like our OCB coexist. goes. Right, our OCB goes on to point, point out. Meanwhile, the Lutheran church we pass by, uh oh, just before we get to church, recently had a sign that says, "Jesus is not lost." Are you? <laughs> I still can't quite figure that out. Maybe you can throw your secret Lutheran decoder ring at it. <laughs> One more interesting church sign. It said, "Sign broken. Message inside. <laughs> Have fun." OCBTTR. Um, okay, so I think that the sign that uh, Jesus is not lost are you is trying to have an answer to what everybody says, uh, you're lost and you need to find Jesus. 
or right. you're just you need to find Jesus. And this is trying to come back and say uh, Jesus isn't lost. <laughs> right. You right. are. So um, kind of like the, this is the uh, uh, Forrest Gump line. Remember, Lieutenant Dan uh, says, "Have you found Jesus yet, Gump?" And Gump oh, yeah, says, right. "I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, sir." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I was thinking of the other line from Forrest Gump that says, "All who wander are not lost." I don't remember that. That's either Forrest Gump or Gandalf. <laughs> okay, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> now, um, now here, uh, our OCBTR TTR has a follow-up on this one, and he says, "Update: The sign at the Lutheran Church now says, check out our sermons on our Facebook page.'" Just thought you'd want to know. <laughs> so now there's, there's some irony here. It used to say, "Sign broken, message inside," and now it says, "Go to check Facebook. us out on Facebook." <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, you'd love that. I guess going to town. I guess nobody came in, so they need to. There's direct tons. Of, yeah, this is outreach, man. Facebook outreach. There's tons of people on the Facebook. I saw. I saw the other day that they had like 18 or 19 users. <laughs> so that's where the peeps are. You got to right. go where the peeps are. I you ready so. for another one? I'm ready. This is the most interesting of all. Thought you might enjoy this short piece wondering about why there are non-reformed groups that want to claim the label Calvinist, but none of them would ever dream of latching on to Lutheranism, he says with capital ISM, for heaven's sakes. The quote that caught my eye is, one of the attractions of hey, Lutheranism hey, for me... You get 30 Table Talk radio points for that. Thank you. One of the attractions of Lutheranism for me is that you don't have to share the road with enthusiasts. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is answering our question, what we must have been talking about at some point in the history of something or other, about how there's, like, Reformed Baptists and Reformed Methodists. I don't know about that, but anyway. You have your evangelicals that claim to be Calvinists, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. But none of them claim to be Lutheranists. Mm, I see what you're saying, yep. And here it says in this article, apparently, one of the attractions of Lutheranism is that you don't have to share the road with enthusiasts. Because Lutheranism is the anti-enthusiasm. Yes. And that doesn't mean you have to be bored to be a Lutheran. That's not the kind of enthusiasm we're talking about. We're talking about the enthusiasm of being swept away by the Word of God on the inside rather than the Word of God on the outside. Yeah, right. Okay. Is there another email there? Yeah, I got one more. Do we have time? About 20 seconds here. Oh, there's not time for this. Hello, Radio Clowns. I recently heard an interview with the Christian rapper Timothy Brindle. I think you should push some of his stuff through the cruncher. Now I know you prefer to focus on songs actually sung in congregational worship, perhaps a rule of the guy's regular albums, but in an interview he did discuss a concept which he calls hymn hop, which is where a congregation would be singing a hymn, and in between verses a rapper would expound on what the hymn is saying. Oh. Boy. Okay. I think we can take it for granted this particular contemporary hymn has its own problems with mysticism, but I'd be interested to know how the intra-hymn rapping fares through the cruncher, both in terms of form and content. Okay, well, we're going to have to check that out sometime. Uh, you are listening to Table Talk Radio, and after this break, we're going to be doing Ten Commandments of the News, Witch, Ladder, and Kafka. We'll be right back. Good to hear from Ruben.
most persevering listeners in radio. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Are you unable to post to Facebook? Not sure where to turn in this time of need? Introducing Friends. Friends are people you can post to in real life. Hi! How are you? Good. How are you? Love and lunch. Tofurkey club sandwich on artisanal bread. Like. Look at this picture of me as a baby. Like. <laughs> I have to show you something. You never know how strong you are until being strong is the only choice you have. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't do this. Did you just poke me? What's wrong with you? Actual friends. Call 1-888-SO-ALONE to get yours today. <laughs> Available at Walgreens. And we're back on Table Talk Radio. Something happening here. You know what? I was. What it I just came to the realization. Exactly clear. That's true about this. This uh, show that we do. There's a man with the gun over there. Um, anyway, I was re- came to the realization Telling that you are far too ADD to have bumper music. Because <laughs> every time we go in or out of break, you get distracted. Oh, what are we doing? Let's go. Red light. Anyway. You like uh, you like my dog with a laser pointer is what you're like in bumper music. Okay. Anyway, uh, now we're now we're gonna do some ten commandments in the news with Witch Ladder and Kaka, the casual apologetic conversation game. Um, so I'll start by explaining ten commandments, and you uh, can ex- describe Witch Ladder. Uh, ten commandments in the news is where we look at a news item, a story, or something rather, and we discuss which of the ten commandments are involved in this story. Uh, doesn't this have to be a breaking of the commandments, but for us to get to uh, to start to see the world. Are you still singing? Good grief. Uh, in, in order for us to start thinking in terms of the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments is really how the Lord has ordered our life. Um, he has given us, for example, the gift of family, so he sets up the Sixth Commandment to protect it. Uh, he gives us the gift of, of governance, uh, and he sets up the Fourth Commandment um, to rule us uh, uh, in this world um, in a peaceful way. So and uh, so on and so forth. So we'll look at a news item and discuss how the Ten Commandments are involved. Now, Pastor Wolfman, will you describe how which ladder works? Yes, there's three ladders that we uh, try to use to get to heaven. At least that's what our friend Adolf Caberly said. And uh, those ladders are the ladder of the mind, mm, rationalism, <laughs> the ladder of the will, moralism, the ladder of the psyche, that's mysticism. And that man is a moralistic, mystic rationalist, basically. So we find, try to find our own righteousness through these various tools. Now, uh, they're all kind of bad. But the way we play which ladder is we listen to a thing or read a thing or think about a thing and then ask, which ladder is this telling us to climb? And the ca- uh, casual apologetics conversation game is a silly little game that we play where we try to uh, talk about whatever thing that we're talking about in terms of getting about to law and gospel. 
Um, so uh, when when you're talking to someone uh, who maybe doesn't know um, uh, or, or believe in the resurrection or the forgiveness of sins, um, that there's really uh, the Word of God alone that uh, speaks to that person, and it speaks in both law and gospel. So to take a thing that's happening around us or a thing that we're talking about and uh, thinking of a way to bring that in terms of law and gospel, Ten Commandments and the Creed, um, to the individual. So that's how the super game works. We're going to just throw that all into one big pot and see how it tastes after that. Um, Pastor Wolfman, I think yeah. you I think you have a, a news item that you're just chomping at the bit to I'm, get at. I am. I can't wait to talk about this. Now I've got to read it, and then you've got to stop me, and then we've got to comment on it. Okay. This is from, uh, I don't know, a couple months back. It's th- it says this. Founder of largest atheist group in U.S. shares conservative evangelical background. You got it? Interesting. Set the stage. So it's a, the largest atheist group, apparently, action, action group. And the guy who started it used to be a youth pastor. And this article is about this book that he wrote that describes how he became an atheist. Hmm. Okay. Ready? I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm interested now. Dan Barker, co-founder of the Freedom From Religion Foundation. <laughs> I like... You get that? Huh? Yeah, freedom from. Free, not freedom of religion, freedom from. It's all in the prepositions. Uh, with 20,000 members, let me just, can you check on it how many members our Facebook page has? No, you can't. Uh, claims to be the largest atheist organization in the United States, uh, was once a self-described conservative evangelist who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ before a five-year journey led him to become an atheist. Barker who no longer works to save souls, but instead wages legal battles against perceived conflicts between the church and the state, such as the national motto, In God We Trust. Aggressive religious activity there. <laughs> On the U.S. currency. Now, I think, by the way, this is a, uh, this is a thing. When did the I, uh, uh, In God We Trust go onto the currency? Do you know the answer to that? Question? I don't. Do you think is is it after we left the silver standard and started making it a uh, just a depository note? I suspect. In so. In other words, you didn't need to trust God before because you could just go to the bank and get some silver <laughs> out. So now we have to bring the trust of God into this. Maybe I don't know. Right. This guy's a, so this guy's a crusader. He's trying to get the national motto and God we trust on U.S. currency, and he has efforts to ban city councils from holding a prayer before meeting. He recently spoke with the Christian Post about his evangelical past. In his book, Godless, How an Evangelical Preacher Became One of America's Leading Atheists, Barker describes his journey in detail, but told CP, that must be Christian Post, that most of his movement from his firm, born-again, Bible-believing, evangelical, conservative Christian to atheist happened within Christianity. Dun, dun, Hmm. dun. The plot thickens. So that he, he he this is he says already now this is not reading from the article just my comment here is that he he was basically an atheist when he was still a Christian. Mm. I this is fascinating. Barker admittedly told uh, Christian Post that he didn't just jump from oh I have a doubt to now I'm an atheist because he believes no Christian does that but rather he sees believers as shuffling back and forth one way or another across a huge vast spectrum of Christian theology. My migration which took four or five years, started out as extreme far right side and then gradually moved across where in the beginning I didn't think, oh, these doubts are going to be, lead to atheism. I thought they were strengthening my faith, 
and becoming less of a binary brain, absolutist, fundamentalist, and more of a moderate, more subtle, Barker explained. And a lot of Christians are critical of Pentecostals and extreme fundamentalists for being too simplistic. So I went through the whole process by saying, I'm going to be less simplistic. Okay. Now, I think this is what's one of the fascinating things about this is that I think this guy right here, Barker, has basically lived the past 250 years of church history in one lifetime. <laughs> okay, what do you mean by that? In other that? words, the utter decline of Christianity from some sort of uh, evangelical Christianity to believing the Bible to the introduction of pietism, to, which led to the introduction of liberalism, which led to the introduction of basically nothingism. This guy is done himself. Hmm. Okay. You want to hear it? You want to hear it unfold? Yeah. You yeah. want to stop there? No. Let's. let's keep... One of the first things Barker said is he questioned was the, that he questioned was the historicity of Adam and Eve. Before he had his ministry, Barker was tra- a traveling evangelist. And it was in that role that he attended a church where the preacher confided in him that some members of the congregation didn't believe Adam and Eve were little historical people. To me, that was horrible. That was heresy, Barker said. I know a lot of liberal Christians don't have a problem with it, but I was a fundamentalist, taking everything literally. And when it dawned on me that there were other Christians with other points of view, it really bothered me. After grappling with the realization that Christians have varying points of view, view, Barker said he made the decision to accept that believers who hold a different interpretation of the Bible are still faithful and good people, and he was not going to cease fellowshipping with them. It doesn't matter if we agree on some of these points, he says. What matters is how we live our Christian life. Oh, all right. There's step one. Okay. All right, so there's so step So you get one. it? So yeah. you get the movement? So, you, know, you want me to say a word about this? I do. Well, I, I think that, uh, first of all, I think we're, one of the pl- main places uh, this fellow went wrong is in thinking that um, all Christians agree on the same things about the Bible. So here he has a belief that Adam and Eve really existed, and um, all is, is fine and well until he encounters someone who says, uh, and people even claim to be Christians, saying that Adam and Eve weren't real historical figures. Now, I think that... Um, we we should maybe just say a note here about how uh, false teachers come even within the church. Remember that they, they, they come with uh, their wolves in sheep's clothing. <laughs> so so those are going to come along and say, "Hey, I'm a I'm a Christian, but I don't believe what the Bible says about evolution. I don't believe what the Bible says about Adam and Eve, or or really that whole flood thing, or you know even." Maybe even the historicity of Jesus, but I'm a Christian. Um, mm-hmm. That that uh, uh, th- we should not be surprised at that. Now, for this fellow, uh, it, it was uh, I guess shocking because he's he's never considered the fact that um, that these Christians um, could believe something different. But I think where the rubber hits the road in this case is that he discerned that what you believe is not all that important, but what is important is what you do. Now, I think that this is going to speak really to what his theology was in the first place before he ever encountered someone who believes something different, and that is that the Christian life should be about uh, what you do, the moral progress. So if that's right. if that's what your—what um, do we call that, the um, uh, material principle? If that's your material principle, that we should be uh, becoming uh, good, better people and be doing good things— then when you encounter someone who believes something different but is still doing good things, well, that's not really a problem. 
Now, I, I thought the language he used, cease fellowshipping with them, he wouldn't do that. But uh, the scriptures talk about a fellowship around a unity of doctrine, and uh, we would see that to be expressed uh, first and foremost in the Lord's Supper. You know, that St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says that you can't uh, uh, drink from the cup of the Lord and share in the cup of demons, but that this uh, Lord's Supper is an expression of the unity of faith. So, right, um, that's right. Pastor, you have about 20 seconds to say a word before we go to break. Well, no, I think you're 100% right. So this move from concern for doctrine to concern for life is pietism. So the ah. guy moves from being a fundamentalist to a pietist. That's the first step. I mean, he probably shouldn't have been a fundamentalist to start with. But anyway, you know things are going in the wrong direction. All right, we'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. Never imitated, never duplicated. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. We are talking about this article about Dan Barker, uh, who is now... Uh, founder of this Freedom From Religion organization, but formerly an evangelical... Was he a pastor? Evangelist. Evangelist. And, uh, he traveled his, around. His, uh, his, his trip there so far. So, I, I mean, so far we've talked really about, I mean, if I can say so already, the, the ladder of moralism, that it's not about what you believe, but what, uh, about what you do. Um, this is yep. uh, trying to earn your salvation based upon your works. So mm-hmm. uh, let's continue with the story. Maybe there's something else here. For Barker, this was his path towards tolerance, not believing in Adam and Eve. <laughs> but but also notice, so it's the rejection of, of, a, of a belief, but an assertion of now a morality. So the thing that matters, here's the quote. Uh, but this is, by the way, not me reading. But now I'm about to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oops. That's good radio right there. What is he even talking about? Here, here, here's what the guy says. What matters is how we live our Christian life. See? Okay. Uh, This was a little more liberalizing of my thinking. I didn't have to be a know-it-all or a black-and-white absolutionistic. A black-and-white absolutistic. Absolutistic. That's what the word is. Absolutistic. I I almost picked that as my buzzword. I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. He continued, (laughs) The Bible says you should be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. So I thought that Jesus thought it had to be true or false, right or wrong, yes or no. There can't be any gray areas. When, in fact, most Christians live their lives in the gray areas. So never mind Jesus. I'm not going to look at Jesus anymore. I'm going to look at the church. Doubting whether Adam and Eve were real people, Barker said he initially thought he was maturing in his Christian faith and thought of it as a growing experience. It was a story, a parable, a fable that the early Israelites made up to teach. What's more important than the fall of the human race, the origin of the fall of mankind? So it didn't matter if Adam and Eve were historical, he said. Just like when Jesus told parables, like the prodigal son. 
We all knew that it's not a true story, and it doesn't matter if it's true. Jesus made up a story, and it's not the literal historicity of the story that matters. It's the underlying moral tale. The message of the parable is what Jesus is trying to teach us. It's a story that Jesus made up to teach us an important lesson. <laughs> okay. See this? Yep. So, yep. That, so that Jesus tells parables, and so does Moses when he wrote the history of Genesis. Right. Or whoever wrote Jonah. When he wrote Jonah. I mean, See? That, that's nice, except for you actually have in the text, and then Jesus told him this parable, and Moses... Right. <laughs> uh, so anyway. He just, he just left that out. But now, now this is the move, ready? The next stage of the supposed maturation of the church, the move from pietism to liberalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see? So once you go to exalting works, now, uh, now you can bring your reason to bear on the Scriptures... And the scriptures come to you um, uh, not as truth, but as lessons. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I can get this right. So, um, I mean, maybe maybe put it a slightly different way. So that you you have a theology that says um, what life is all about is about being good. And, um, and that's what we'll center around. Now, now you're still going to have to deal with these parts about the Bible like, uh, there being a worldwide flood, <laughs> or um, uh, there being an Adam and an Eve. And uh, what you do is you try to find a way that that can be compatible with your main theology, that is, being good. Right. And so that you say, well, those are just allegory, and they're allegorical to get at the purpose of showing us how to be good. Right. I mean, I, right. I, I think the, the, the biggest stumbling block to this is... Uh, Abraham or Isaac or Jacob <laughs> right, or right. yeah I mean here you have uh Isaac or Abraham saying no she's not my wife she's my sister <laughs> and then <laughs> and, and then right and then he gives them all of it, everything he has hey sorry I sorry I offended your wife take all my stuff with you and you're going why is he getting rewarded for, for lying? You know, right. if, if you're trying to treat the Old Testament as a lesson in morality, boy, you're going to have some tough times here. Yes, right. Indeed you are. <laughs> because the guys are a mess. Hmm. Now this is a, But it's amazing. So everything now has to fit into that. And, and here's the point. I mean, Aesop's fables don't matter if mm. it's true or not because it's trying to teach you a lesson. Yeah, Greek mythology. See? Right. It doesn't matter if it was true or not, because it's trying to teach you a lesson. In other words, the story has a moral. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about moralism. This is the point. It has a moral. It's telling you what to do. So the story has meaning in that it tells you what to do. But Adam and Eve falling does, is not a story with a moral, so that when you're naked in the woods with your wife and a snake comes <laughs> along and tells you to eat the fruit, you don't Wait a do minute. it. I read a, I read a, I heard a story about this one time. How did it go? I don't think yeah, we're supposed to right. talk to this talking uh, snake. <laughs> yeah, don't listen. I, the moral of the story is don't listen to the snake in the woods. No, the, the, it's not a moral. It is actually a fact that has ongoing implications about you and your humanity today. Mm -hmm. And if it's not a fact, then it doesn't, then, it, then to, I mean, it's a theological fact, namely that I'm a sinner. That's what the sto that story is establishing. Not the moral that I sin like Adam and Eve or that I shouldn't sin like Adam and Eve, but the fact that I am a sinner. And the same thing is true of the death of Jesus. It's, there's no moral to the story of the death of Jesus. There's a result 
to the act of Jesus dying. And, that, and that's totally different. And that necessitates that being um, a matter of history and being uh, something in reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you see, if you, so if everything is about being good, then everything can be just good, fine stories. That's fine. But, but, but if there's going to actually be a, a thing that matters now that's going to that's have shaped the way things ended up today, it's going to be a matter of history, an account Hmm. of something. Hmm. But here and here here's the other thing to notice about this is to notice how close pietism is to liberalism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they're just they're twin sisters. Yeah, they're kissing and they cousins. They seem like they seem like uh the total opposite of one another cuz you got your great pietists, you know, these 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 fundamentalist evangelicals and, they, and but for them it's you no know, deeds not creeds, right? And that's a you could say the same exact the most liberal of the liberals could say the same thing. What matters is what you do. Now the deeds are opposite, you know, they got a different sense of morality, but it's still the same thing. For them it's just a matter of acting, of doing, and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you do the right thing. Right. They're, now uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's all right, it's all right. Um, now I think I think the, 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 all this all this stems from a uh, disbelief in the Word of God. I mean, so that's right. that's step one and step two. Now, so if if uh, our religion, our theology, the 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 Bible is all about teaching us to be good, and it doesn't matter what you believe, then what's going to happen when I encounter something like uh, how do I deal with uh, homosexuality? And you've already cast aside, well, it's not important what you believe about the Bible. It's just important how good you are. So now I'm going to proceed by, by going not what the Word of God says, but about what I perceive to be good. And I think that how we deal with that situation um, uh, entirely depends on what the Bible says. Now, I want to be clear uh, with that issue in particular. The Scriptures do call it a sin, and yet we can... Um, in a loving way, uh, tend to our our brother, our sister, our friend, whoever, that struggles with homosexuality. But it's first, uh, it starts with calling sin a sin. And I think where where this pietism and then liberalism, as you pointed out, Pastor, ends up is saying, well, let's just forget that because it's not important about what you believe. Let's just all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Right. That's right. Interesting. It's the same thing. I mean, so you so you start at the same place. You come out with opposite conclusions, but you st- you start at the same place, and it, and and it's not at the fall of Adam and Eve or the death of Jesus. Now, you look at how close this is to atheism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Through the process, Barker said that his sermon started to change. He spoke less about heaven, hell, and judgment, and started to preach more about living this life, such as a Sunday morning sermon on how to let your light shine. Mm-hmm. Baker told us that, in his opinion, most of the criticism of Christianity comes from members of the faith, from followers themselves, who think they've discovered contradictions in historicity, problems of interpretation, scientific problems, and anachronisms in the Bible. I finally got to the end of that four or five years, to the end of that process, and I realized that the character called the prodigal son is a parable. He didn't exist. Adam and Eve is a metaphor. Those characters didn't exist. What other characters in the Bible are like that? He asked. And then I thought, well, Yahweh. Ah. God himself is a literary character who was invented by the Israelites and then later by Christians to tell an important moral story about human nature. In my mind, I said, well, then, God is also fiction. It doesn't matter if God is real or not. 
Yeah. See that? It's amazing this this uh, change uh, series of events that happened about two thousand years ago around someone who didn't exist. I mean, that's just amazing. It is. I can't believe Indeed. it. Indeed, I know it. I mean, that's right. Now, now he continues. So, oh, so you want to make that move? You want to talk about this move? So, uh, prodigal son's not real. So, Adam and Eve's not real. So, God's not real. Now, now I, by the way, don't think that Dan Barker is real. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hearing this story, and I, I take this as a narrative to teach me uh, to not uh, follow such stories. Yeah, the moral, the lesson. Now we have we have a break coming up, um, but I, I think that you you made your point that um, this this has started this kind of uh, seeing these stories in the Bible as Aesop's fables uh, at trying to reconcile whether this word of God is true with the things around me. And I think that Christians would start the other end and say, well, God's word is true. And so um, the things around me that I can see wouldn't contradict that. And we will talk about that after this break. Yep. So don't try to deny it, pretty baby. You've been down so long you can hardly see. When the engine start and it won't stop raining, it's the right time to roll Talk Radio. For those who have tried everything else to get a good night's sleep. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. All right, so Pastor, this happens uh, in the parish as your one of your college students comes to your study and says, Pastor. Uh, look, we say in the Bible that God created everything in six days, um, but look, uh, in uh, my science classes, they're saying that these rocks are uh, millions of years old, so uh, I guess I can't believe that the Bible is true. Uh, how do you approach that pastorally? Um, it, it is a great question because... Because the you know we know that when we're having these real conversations with real people that it's the devil who's at work you know um, Paul says we fight not against flesh and blood but against principalities etc etc and the devil is is always as Jesus describes him uh, the bird who's coming along to snatch up the seed remember that parable mm-hmm. the parable of the sower where the goat man goes out to sow the seed and now the devil uh, is coming along and he and he snatches up the he's trying to snatch up the seed of the word. But it's almost in these cases where the devil is putting is planting these doubts in there that he snatches up the seed of the word, but he puts a little pebble in its place. Mm. So remember, remember the scene from a uh, what was it? Uh, Indiana Jones. Oh he yeah. He goes down yeah. there and he's going to get the the head of the golden monkey head or whatever off the thing, and he puts the bag of sand and he swaps it out. So the devil he does this and he he takes the Lord's word, but he gives us a counterfeit to believe in. Mm-hmm. And generally, he switches it out from gospel to law. So, whoop, now we think that we've got God's word because we have all these to-dos, this long, great long to-do list from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's the word of God. And so, I, I, uh, I don't know, how is it that we swap those things back and recapture people's imagination with the real life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Um, I, su- I suspect it depends on the, you know, on this conversation. A lot of times there's also uh, kind of unrepented sin hanging around there. Um, it's convenient to ditch the Lord's word because uh, I got things I want to do, etc. I, I, I don't want to impugn this guy's motives. Uh, and in fact, I don't think that's what 
Dan Barker, our now atheist, is uh, up to. Okay. Um, but, yeah. right. I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> so I, I think one of the things that we struggle with, uh, especially as we talk about this problem, and it's a universal problem amongst Chris, across Christendom, is that is our young people um, leaving the faith. You know, I, I forget what the stats are, but they're astronomical, like two-thirds or three-quarters of, of our youth will go to college and then uh, walk away from the church. Um, I think part of the problem is that we're not doing a good job uh, teaching our youth um, about what they what they will encounter when they get to college. And so what happens is they'll go to uh, a science course in college, and they'll hear that uh, you know the things you were taught in church uh, aren't compatible with science, or they'll go to. I mean, I've always told people never go to a Bible class at a university, <laughs> but they'll they'll go and say, yeah, these are we don't have all the copies; they just made them up. Blah 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 blah. And what happens is that is the the young person, the freshman in college, thinks that my pastor doesn't know about all of this. He's not the wiser. He's been duped along with the rest of the church. It's at the university they have the answers. Well, what they don't realize is that we have pastors and as Christians know all of those things, have evaluated them, and think that those theories don't hold water, that the traditional view of the of the scriptures and everything else um, is actually right, that the the things that they're saying in the university are, are lies. Um, but I think that we have to tell our, our, our high schoolers, say, hey, when you go to college, this is what you're going to hear. I know what they're going to say, and that's not right. And to right. give them a little, equip them a little bit. Yep. Um, I, I think that we, for too long we've thought that, you know, if, if they can just sing love songs to Jesus enough, they'll have such an affection that they'll never uh, walk away from the faith when we're finding out that that's not true. <laughs> yep. Okay, so continue with uh, Dan Barker. All right, where was I? I think we had just turned the parables, uh, Jesus into a parable, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no, and he said this. He says, uh, prodigal son's a parable, Adam and Eve's a parable, God's a parable. Right. He continued, sometimes you hear that kind of talk from the liberal pulpit, liberal preachers who are still preaching. But I went through the whole process and realized that the whole thing is just a story. It has no basis in evidence or argument or even coherent definitions. Because how can a personal being have free will and yet know in which his own... Uh, oh, hey, wait a minute, there's a typo here. How can a personal being have free will and yet know in which his own future decisions are fixed and therefore can't be changed? All these eternal contradictions between the definitions of God. Well, that, that, there's something wrong with that sentence. But you see the idea? So he's saying, this, this doesn't even make sense. If God controls all things, how can there be freedom, etc.? Ah, no, he, he's probably the first guy that ever noticed that. <laughs> yeah, no one's ever discussed that before. Yeah, that, I know. That never has come up in theological discussion. This guy's <laughs> going to cause a revolution by noticing that. <laughs> Even though Barker says his doubts led him to go to the Bible and study the Scriptures, in 1983 he felt that at this juncture in his life he was affirming his non-belief, his move towards atheism. So I finally said, I guess I don't believe in that being anymore. I became an atheist in my mind, reluctantly. I love my Christian life and my Christian friends and family. I don't know any atheists, and I don't know if I'd like to like any atheists. I don't even like the word atheist, but honestly, I had to say, well, it describes me. Like it or not, that describes the position I'm in. I'm not theistic. I don't hold the belief anymore. Hmm. Well, there you have it. Um, there's the... 
It's quite the journey. Uh, I think I, I now see what you mean by, you know, he traces back 250 years of church history in one uh, experience. I don't even know what else to call it. Yep. Um, this, by the way, uh, is why a study of history is good. Um, you know, I, I, I lament those, especially in our own church body, who say that, meh, seminary education isn't that important. Don't worry about that kind of thing. Yep. Um, you know, one of the things that's most important in our seminary education is the study of church history. And I think the reason that's so important is so we don't, we don't have to uh, fall into arguing the same heretical arguments that have been done in the past. You know, so I, I come along and say, what if Jesus is of a similar substance with God the Father? You know, if I know a little tradition, like, oh, this has been discussed before. But for, but for those who don't know history, they, they, they dig up these old skeletons, and they, uh, they have to, you know, fight them for themselves. Now, that doesn't yep. mean that you can't, you know, engage in the discussion yourself. But um, we we oftentimes block out history and think, oh, we're the first ones to discover this. But well, we're not. Yep. Yeah. That's now true. it's like uh, what G.K. Chesterton talks about. You know, launching out on a, a on a ship to explore a new land and landing. Uh, and landing heroically and planting his flag on the south coast of Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> right. he, he launches out, and he ends up finding the place where people had lived forever and ever. Uh, you know. right. So we think we're going on this her- heroic crusade for the truth, which now n- there's not a single atheist out there who will not tell you about their heroic conversion to the truth of their atheism. They'll tell more, they'll tell more conversion stories than any Christian <laughs> Uh, I should ask, how did you get converted to be an atheist anyway? Yo, they'll tell you. <laughs> they'll, they'll sit around in a circle and they say, let, let, let's uh, tell each other our conversion stories. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell you how, and it's normally they're reading some high school textbook on evolutionism and they'll realize that all these excuses of religion were just to explain the gaps in knowledge and relics from the Middle Ages and they had to leave behind these these quaint and sometimes dangerous relics of the human mind to launch out into the bold truth of being an atheist? Oh, Lord have yeah. mercy. Okay, let's do Ten Commandments. I think yes. we have First and Second Commandment in that uh, he's on this quest to remove in God we trust from our money and our buildings and all of this. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, despair. Now, I guess <laughs> the other aspect of that First Commandment is that is that the uh, the God of the Bible <laughs> when it says in God we trust? But that's another case. So first and second commandment are pretty important there. The th- yeah. We have, um, uh, I guess, the third commandment there as well. Um, in the in that matter, uh, uh, oh well, and I think even more clearly, the third commandment is that he began to distrust the word of God. So God says right. this. Well, I I I don't think that that's true. I know better than God. So therefore, uh, God's word is out. So that's first, second, and third commandment. We have the fourth commandment in that uh, he wants to get uh, prayers out of city council meetings. So we have yeah. government in the fourth commandment there. Uh, we would also have um, uh, in the sixth commandment, we have Adam and Eve, a family right there, where this, or the, you might say, uh, sixth commandment was established in that it was established a uh, family in Adam and Eve. Yep. Uh, seventh commandment, we have uh, the money um, uh, writing there. I didn't grab an Eighth Commandment. Maybe because he was taking this to court to change the In God We Trust. Oh, very thing. good. So he's working very through good. the legal system. And I didn't grab Nine or Ten either, unless you can, unless you can grab Yeah, it. there's got to be some covetousness in there, but I don't think it came out. Okay. It's there, though. It's got to be there. Now, in the last uh, 
45 seconds. I want to hit Whoa. some which ladder here. Uh, yep. So uh, I think the big one that we start out with, and I think this is interesting to see the progression, what we start out with is moralism, being good enough to reach God. So, the, the, again, the heart and center of, of Scripture, of theology, is that we would be good, moral people, better. Um, and this I mean, it reminds me of what Jesus says to the Pharisees. You search the Scriptures thinking in them you have eternal life, but it's them that testify of me. So that the Scriptures are not saying, hey, be good. The Scriptures are saying, you can't be good, but look, there's a Messiah, the Lamb of God, who comes away to take, take the sins of, uh, of the world away. So that the Bible, heart and center, should be about believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. The other ladder that we reach into is the ladder of rationalism, that I can rationalize myself um, to be uh, good enough for God, smart enough to God, uh, that I don't need uh, Jesus to do it for me. And that's all the time we have. So thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like the members of the Freedom from Table Talk Radio Foundation. Table Talk Radio. <laughs> the views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll free 1 800 385 SOLA. That's 1 800 385 SOLA. Or send us an email questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.